the Student of Money podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Niemeyer. The mission of Student of Money is to connect listeners like you to a community of like-minded individuals to help you achieve your goals of financial freedom through entrepreneurship, investing, real estate, and personal development. This is episode 32. So, hey guys, I'm really excited to have a guest on my show today. His name is Dustin Hendrickson, and he is the founder of Mailbox Money Real Estate. So thanks for coming on the show, Dustin. I'm really happy, and I really want to get into uh, the information that you've got today. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm, uh, I like doing podcasts, and I, I think this Student of Money one will be very enjoyable. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so looking at your biography... Uh, not only are you the founder of Mailbox Money, but it looks like you've done, you've had a roofing company and you've done a lot of developments. Correct. So is that, is that pretty much, uh, it also says you have bought some pre-existing or done some value add, but are you pretty much developing? Is that kind of your niche? Yeah, I develop more because it's, it just feels like it's always a better deal to develop. I can go and buy the absolute best piece of land in the best area take out some blighted property and put up a brand new structure and it will be in the best area forever. Um, most people don't usually sell their best assets. You know, they sell the stuff that they want to get out of. So these development, the quality that you get is very hard to acquire. So a brand new development is very hard to acquire those. When you start buying, you, you realize that you're usually buying old value add stuff. It's really hard to, it's just really hard to buy it. It's really expensive to buy it and I can develop it for much less and then I can own it for have less issues, better tenants. Yeah. That's a really interesting concept. Um, right before COVID I drew kind of drew a line through my portfolio and everything under the line I sold. And of course those, like you said, they weren't the best performing properties. Uh, and I got a, I got a, I got a great price and a good return on those. But um, it's interesting that you say that you want to build it. So one of my pet peeves I see a lot with real estate syndications is that they turn those properties over a lot every four or five years to get those high RRRs. And that's what they're promoting out to their uh, LPs, their limited investors, is, is that we're, we're, all they're really shooting for is that high RRR. IRR. Um, so what you're telling me is that you're able to do that because it's, it's more expensive to get into a property and that you're able to more effectively through building or through development? Yeah. I mean, you, for the, when you develop a class or even B plus class assets, those things command a high price. So you can develop them. The amount that we're going to make when we go to sell these is much, you know, is much more. And we probably won't sell them. We'll probably refi them because we want to own them for a long time. And so our IRR will also diminish after five years, right? We'll get you in development, you get a big bang for the first five years. And then you're kind of riding just appreciation and cash flow after that. But it's much easier. You don't have all the issues. You almost forget that you own it. Whereas a C class, you're constantly dealing with something, the boiler goes out, or there's just so many issues with those old buildings. And the neighborhoods aren't near as good. So you also need to buy prime locations. I mean, how often do you see prime A-class for sale? You just don't see it much. So it's easier to, it's just easier for me to develop than to buy. And the returns are much better when you develop, right? right. I have to 
I have to wait it, you know, two years before the cash starts coming in and I have to do some other things, but I don't know. To me, I like it much better long-term. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I, I, I think you're totally right. So you pretty much, you, you, you develop and hold, right? Or do you, do you sell? How often do you sell? I try not to sell anything good. Anything, <laughs> uh, I don't want to regret selling stuff. So I sold all of my residential, like anything under a fourplex, basically, or that's not a commercial level. I think the lowest, smallest I have now is maybe a 12plex or it's a, it's 12 units. It's an aplex and a fourplex on one piece of ground, but that I would sell because that's not the best asset either, but I don't sell any of my good A-class stuff. Right. No, I totally agree with you. I think you want to hold on, uh, the cash cows, as I would say, uh, and, and, and then use that cash. And, and so it's interesting that you would, uh, do a refinance because that's totally my model as well is I kind of follow that infinity infinity return model where we refinance and get the investors money back to them, their initial contribution, but I don't like to sell. I don't like to, one, I don't like to pay taxes and I don't want to have to recapture the depreciation. And then you have to turn around and find another deal and reinvest. Right. Yep. So, um, so I totally agree with you on that standpoint. Uh, it looks like you do, uh, or you have done some value add though. You have bought some distressed. Yeah. yeah. I bought, we bought quite a few distressed assets and fixed them up and we buy some assets that aren't even really that distressed and you just have to increase rents and management's not very good. Poor management, poor right. owner. That's the best to buy in my opinion. And then the value add, the physical work comes second. I think improving management and upping the rents is the, where all the money is at lost to lease, all that good stuff. Right. Yeah. You're always looking for train wrecks, right? You're always looking for mismanagement. Yeah. Um, and then, and then always like, you know, what do you do to add value? Can we put in coin laundry? Can we do other things? Can we add more storage units? So, uh, but I don't have that developer mentality where I'm thinking kind of outside the box of what else can I do to add maybe there be an empty lot next door and I can double the size of the complex. So well, one of the things that I noticed uh, when I sold a property in 2020 and I thought I got a really great deal on it, uh, but the guy who bought it is a developer and there was an, there's an empty green space on the property that was originally designed to have a building on it. Since I'm not a builder, I never thought about breaking ground and building another building and, and basically creating, adding value right there just by building that building. So sure enough, this fall, I drive by the property and what do you think's going on? They're cracking ground, they're pouring a foundation, they're putting in a fifth building on that property. And then I look it up on the assessor's website and the permit says it's going to be a three-story building. Well, all the other buildings are two-story buildings. So he's going, you know, you can you can build vertically too, right? So you don't necessarily have to expand out. You can also increase value just by adding height to a property. So I kind of looked at that and I'm like, man, there's a missed opportunity that I didn't even see is I should have, before I sold the property, built that fifth building to automatically increase the value. And now that $2.3 million property would then turn into a $3 million property just by developing that building and adding those tenants. 
Uh, so I guess what's your take on that? I mean, as a developer, oh, yeah. are you seeing value and you're seeing places that you can add value that I just totally miss? Um, yeah, that could be. I do have an eye for like efficiency. So if I think the that there, you could squeeze more units in or something else is could be a better use, I'll I'll do that. You know, that'll come to mind. We just <clears throat> purchased a 63 unit building in Brandon, South Dakota, and that was the same thing has a lot on the front. So we purchased the two lots on the front, but those lots haven't sold because they're pretty much worthless because our driveway comes right through the middle of them. So we're taking that driveway and we're moving it. We're taking that driveway out of those two lots now and we're going to have access on through our apartment lot where it's supposed to be, where it was originally designed actually. We're going to extend that to the road and then we're going to take that road out and put a big building in and we're going to add another 20, roughly 20 units and commercial space on the bottom. And that's going to add another $5 million to that building. So that'll take this, you know, the 63 is almost a hundred unit complex now. You know, it's 83 units with some commercial on the bottom. It's just a, it's just going to be more, more profitable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that that's actually something I did see with that existing property is there's a private street that goes back to a condominium unit and there was an empty lot right across from that. And I tried to purchase that empty lot to basically double the size of that property to add more buildings. Uh, so I did have the foresight to see that. Uh, it's just we couldn't get we couldn't get the sale done because the owner of the property wanted too much. And then so what's across there now is a uh, a subway sandwich shop and uh, like a mini strip mall. And uh, we had to renegotiate that drive because that was uh, it's a private road, private drive. And it was originally only supposed to be for residential and not for commercial. So, uh, you know, I had to flex my muscle there a little bit and, and try to get a good deal on that. And I should have really used that as leverage to buy that lot. So, you know, having that developer mindset, I think, is, is important because you can see value where other people don't see value. Uh, I guess the downside would be, do you think that there's more risk in a new development because it doesn't have a, a history of performance as opposed to an existing property. You know, can you talk about that a little bit? I think the development risk is in your experience level. Like when you first start developing and you don't really know what people want, it's risky. But once you understand what people want and you know what to build, it's no longer risky because everything you build fills up right away. This is the key part about having good locations. If you have a good location, remove almost all the risk because people, even if the units suck, they're going to want to be there because the location's so good. So you can make a lot of mistakes on a really good location and still have a building that's fully occupied. You know, it, it that's the beauty of, of development is you can kind of develop small stuff and learn how to do it and then develop your way up. And then when you're developing these 150 unit buildings, uh, you have you you design a much better building than what you're buying too. You know, when you buy a building, there's it's all the design's almost never that good. You know, on the big, big buildings, yes. But you when you buy, you know, some lots of the stuff, you're like, man, this design's terrible. You know, right. and you avoid all that. You avoid a lot of that. So you start with the designs that people want to live in right now, too, because a lot of these things are 50 years old and we live differently than we we did back then. So when your unit is up to date too, that's that's much better as well. So, 
Yeah, that's definitely something that I see. I mean, I try to stick with 80s, 90s, and preferably 2000 or newer. Um, but even even properties that are 20 years old, relatively new in its lifespan, but there's a lot of deferred maintenance. There's a lot of issues where maybe it's just dated uh, or or the owners just didn't keep yeah, deferred maintenance. They just didn't keep it up to date and it just needs a refresh. And I think, you know, that's where all the whole value add is, is people going in and buying something that's maybe mismanaged or a little distressed and then finding another way to add some value, whether it's building a clubhouse or building another unit or whatever it may be. So that, that's those are some really good points. Uh, I see you also have some office spaces and some commercial property. Yeah, I mean, where I where I operate in my hometown I improve some downtown spaces and some commercial areas just, you know, cause it's, this helps improve the look of the town and I'm right near it. I'm not a, I'm not, I don't really know anything about commercial leasing or anything like that. So I, I don't really into too much commercial, but I can, I'll, we have a commercial, like in the blue, we'll have a commercial tenant, just one commercial tenant that's going to have a bakery in the main floor, uh, which that's another benefit. You bring in a baker and now your whole main floor smells delicious all the time. And now that's one more inviting thing. Like these, there's things you can do to just make your complex stand out from everything else. Yeah, I totally agree. That's, that's great advice. Um, so I guess the last thing I want to do is is when you're doing development with us with obviously you have to have the city involved. There's a process you have to go through for the permitting to get it all. Do you so are you really uh, tied in with once you become a developer and, and you start having proof with the city, I think it would be easier and easier to go in front of a city council to pitch them a new complex or a new idea it just seems like in Cedar Rapids, there's like the known developers. And in Iowa City, there's the known developers. And these are the really big guys that really get the very sweet deals. And because they're developing a relationship with the city. Can you talk about that? Uh, yes. So I partner with Caleb Beldhouse in Sioux Falls. And he's the one that actually does all that. And he has a great relationship with the city. He's also a lawyer. He or He was a lawyer. He transitioned into development and construction instead, um, but he can talk really well to the city and to the city council. And, you know, he knows how to proceed properly, I guess. So he has a really good relationship. And but where I live, I have a good relationship, too. So, yes, I can get stuff done super quickly here because they just trust me. And so when I go through the variances, most of the time they get approved. And if they don't, I can come back and get them approved eventually. A lot of times the city work is where most people get the most frustrated because they can't handle the rejection. And the city doesn't really help you that much. You know, they're not there to help you. Um, so you kind of got to work your way through it and they don't ever give you all the information. You think they would just give you all the information, right? But then you then they call back and, and then you get a little bit more and then you get a little more and then pretty soon you know how the whole process works. But it's like pulling teeth, though. It's not like working with private people. It's so much different. Um, so you do have to manage all these different relationships because you also have to have private relationships. But yes, when you start having relationships with the city, then they start bringing you stuff, even though they're supposed to not technically bring you stuff. They want certain people to do the job. So they're like, hey, this is available over here. You should look into it or whatever. Like we want, you're one of the preferred people that we're reaching out to to look into this deal. So yeah, you get lots of heads up. 
you can push things through faster because you don't really have to sell anyone. When you first go, like we're in Brandon, South Dakota now, and we're going through this, we're trying to introduce ourselves to the city and it's really tough at first. And they, nobody wants a multifamily. So we just have to keep pushing and pushing and selling and selling. And pretty soon after we build it, then we'll be in the good graces of the city. Once we build it and it's all done and all it's full of tenants, then the city's like, oh yeah, that's fantastic. And then we'll be, then the next project from there on out will be very easy because we build a really nice product. We don't, it, we don't build the cheapest product. We try to build, we try to build like the most bang for your buck, which is usually a little as a level up from the cheaper. And it's just, I got a lot of design in it. You know, it's not like a A-class all concrete brick and all that it doesn't have to be like that. You can use design and still use standard materials and make your project look twice as nice. Uh, so how did you get started? I mean, it says you started with a roofing company and then, and then obviously you said you, you're really partnering with someone and it's doing the majority of the building or already has like uh, maybe the, the, the person that swings the hammers and does the work, but, but you've kind of, you know, uh, someone brand new just isn't going to go out and build a hundred unit apartment complex. What's no. your, what's your advice on a progression? If they think development, obviously partnering with someone's important, but what would be your advice be for somebody wow. that wants to go into the development? My, so what I did was I started a roofing company and I was, my mom has always wanted to do a rental property. So I was, she approached me and asked me if I was interested. And I said, oh yeah, I'll live in one side and I'll own the one side and then we'll rent out the other side. I'll do all the work. I'll do everything. Cause I had a roofing company. So I figured I can do almost all the work. Oh, I didn't frame it and I didn't decide uh, it. But for, from, I mean, we pretty much did everything but that and the trades. So we did tons and tons of work, all the development, all the dirt work, cutting down the trees, all that stuff, the roofing, the, all the trim, you know, the flooring, the cabinets, all that, the porches, you know, the garage doors, just anything that we could do that wasn't structural, we did. And we learned a lot on that project. Um, and so I just, we just went from there and we started doing more. And pretty soon I didn't want to do roofing anymore. I started a, a building company. And I, so I was a building contractor for like 10, 15 years, probably. Um, and I just quit like two years ago because I was wanted to focus on the investing side more and just the development side. And because you can't, it's hard to manage and, you know, look, have nice clean clothes one day and then go and work on a job site the next just doesn't work very good. <clears throat> and then, so I, I mean, and then we just started building bigger and bigger and bigger stuff. But my advice on progression is I would say, go build a duplex, just go and build a duplex, figure it out. And then after you build the duplex, then build a fourplex. And then after that, build an eightplex. And then after that, build a 16plex, build a 32plex. And then once you build the 32plex, you could probably build whatever you want after that. You can 10x. I mean, I would double at first while you're learning and you're doing stuff small. So you don't actually, if you screw something up, it's not that big a deal. You can handle it. But you need to scale rapidly. So you've got to, you should double your project each each time until you get to the biggest units you can really build. You know, maybe your town can only handle 50 units. That's still a good development project. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, you know, my, my advice is always is you, you, you need to get, you need to push yourself and get uncomfortable. And, and, and if you do fail or do have a mistake that it's a mistake that's survivable, something that won't kill you. Um, 
So that's, that's my big advice too, is when you're doing these things, cause you know, for the, for the, for the person out there, like me, when I went to a mentorship club or a real estate investing club, uh, two nights ago. And the big takeaway was there's people there that don't even have their first property yet. They're just interested, or they, maybe they have one or two single family houses and they have to get outside their comfort zone, but they can't take on such a big deal that if it goes under that it takes them down, takes, takes it down too. So they need to uh, be able to handle that risk. And, and so it doesn't, doesn't kill them, I guess. Uh, so they can continue because I've had I have probably had more mistakes than successes and uh, you, long as they don't kill you, you learn from them. Mistakes with what though? With buying existing? With buying existing, maybe, you know, the performer on a property doesn't, uh, doesn't pan out. Uh, it doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. Something changes in the market. I mean, there's obviously things outside of your, um, See, this this is one thing that I like about development is that you're not buying at market rate. So you can, you can make all these mistakes. If you go and get a, build a duplex and you're willing to do a whole bunch of work on it, I guarantee you there's no way it's going to fail. I don't know how it's going to fail. You build a duplex in an area that people want to live and you rent it out. You make sure you have some cash reserves so you can pay rent for a little while, but it's just, it's to me, it's almost a no brainer. It's just, I mean, unless maybe it's harder than I think. And it, I use, I have so much experience that it's just easy, but I, it's just like anything though. When you start doing it, building houses is not complicated. It's not very hard. It's not that big a deal. Once you figure it out, you know, you, once you watch someone, maybe you hire a general to build your first one and you watch what they're doing and then you general the next one. Right. Yeah. It's really hard to just go and buy something at market value and make it work without adding any value. That's what I think. I think that's really hard. I think when you're doing a development, you're forced to add so much value in so many places that there's value when you're done. And it might take, the numbers actually might not look good now when you do the development, but in five years, you'll be like, holy cow, I can't believe what happened here. Like, I can't believe how much value is here. I can't believe how much higher the rents are now. I can't believe how easy that is compared to what it just, you know, what I thought about it five years ago. Right. Yeah. Plus you're starting off with a brand new property, right? So hopefully you should have a lot less issues. The roofs and everything should be good for a while. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big advocacy for that. As I said, I like to buy newer properties that have good bones so that we don't have to do those major renovations and major, major value adds or fixes. And then to be able to turn that, to turn around the people's, if people have bad experiences at a property, it's hard to turn that around uh, to, you know, people try to do rebranding and things of like that, change the name under new management, whatever it may be. But there's still that mentality that that's, that's a bad property or whatever it may be. And that can be hard to overcome with a new property from the very beginning, you're just promoting new property and everybody just wants to gravitate towards the new ones. Yeah. It's much harder than people think to change a reputation of a building is way harder. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So you touched on something earlier uh, about, let's talk about financing. Let's talk about how you're able to finance or because with the development, obviously there's a longer period of time before it starts cash flowing before it starts spinning out cash. So <clears throat> obviously you said that you're a, you've been limited partners, you've done syndications, uh, you've got investors. Let's talk a little bit about the financing. 
well, I use tons of different kinds of financing. What, like, you know, we use some of the stuff we've done with agency debt that was actually locked. Now almost everyone just does floating debt, more of a bridge. You know, we've used bridge. We have bridge financing. We have long-term floating debt. We have lot stuff that's locked in for five years. We got, I mean, three years now, three and a half. I don't know. We re, we refinanced everything in COVID. So our whole commercial portfolio is still locked in at in the threes and four and under basically. So, you know, people are hurting right now on a lot of their projects um, because of the interest rates, but we, I'm not feeling that in a lot of my stuff. We do have interest rate issues on a few, but it's funny that, you know, everyone's pushing the, Hey, this agency debt, the, this complicated stuff is always the way to go, always the way to go. And then you find out all oh, something happens and Holy cow, the actual bank debt at your local bank's actually much better right now. You know, so it, there's, you just never know what you're actually supposed to use. It's really hard to time all the markets, but we use all the kinds of debt. I've never used hard money though. That's the one I've never used because I don't understand paying so much for it. I just, I'll figure it out how to pay half the price and, you know, not use hard money. So I think hard money is kind of an easy way out. Like, Oh, I'm going to use hard money. I'm going to just give them a whole bunch of my profits and I won't have to do the work of finding a, a different source, you know, hard money makes it easier to do the project. Yeah. Yeah, but you're still doing uh, construction loans from banks. Oh yeah, essentially, and they yeah. still do they require the twenty percent down and things of that. And just oh yeah, but you can get creative when you develop. You, I mean, once you're trusted, you can get a lot more creative because they've seen how creative you are, and they understand that you know how to make it work better than anybody. And so that's one good thing about local banks, agency, everything's you know by the by the book. But local banks, it's all relationship based. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, I, I stay away from the big national banks and try to work with the credit unions and, and the, the regional and local banks uh, where I can develop a relationship with the commercial lender. And, um, uh, you know, they know what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, it's, it just seems to work out a lot better for me. So I'll tell you a really cool story. We just locked in an additional $4 million of debt on one of our projects that we're doing because uh, the, in the, the costs skyrocketed so much that the project was $5 million over. But the, the, um, the uh, rents actually covered it up way more, actually. The building's worth much more than the $5 million. Um, but so we, we go to get an additional financing. They gave it to us. This is a credit union. 3.25, they just extended the old note. 3.25, and it's, what is it, seven and a half? Yeah. Something? right now yeah so we, just, they just add, they just added that on in the loan because they want to do business with us in the future and that, we, that was completely unexpected that was that's just acidine to me that that happened it's just but well, that's stuff like that can happen when you work with some local banks yeah that's awesome yeah that 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 you can work with them and and they're able to i said i just closed on a house a single family house and it was 6.6 percent um, so yeah, anything that you can do where you can get the lower interest rates now is are huge. Um, but, uh, so Dustin, tell me, uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can people find out about you, get more information? Uh, cause we're kind of running out of time here, but, um, you know, give me your information. Uh, mailboxmoneyre.com. 
is the website and it has all the, you can call me or send me an email or look at all of our projects or, you know, we, I'm also on LinkedIn too. If you just type in my name, Dustin Hendrickson on LinkedIn, that's where I'm the most active on social media. So. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I'm going to have you back because I, I think we left a lot of stuff out there that we couldn't talk about because of the time limits of zoom here. Um, and I've got to go move snow, unfortunately. <laughs> we've, it's, cold we've, it's cold out there. A lot, a lot of, a lot of snow, a lot of snow. So, uh, but I'm glad that we were able to get together today and uh, talk about what you're doing. Uh, I really want to get into the development uh, space myself. I think you're 100% right on all the advantages that building and developing and being able to get those higher returns. Uh, as opposed to doing the value add. And I'm really happy to hear that you're a long-term hold guy and you just do refinances and that uh, you really don't want to sell your properties that are the cash cows. And I certainly don't want to create a taxable event. So, uh, so before we leave, uh, any last comments, words of wisdom? Uh, no, Merry Christmas. God bless. Thanks for letting me be on the student of money. That's a cool name. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. And Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you too. And uh, we're going to kick off 2023 with a big mastermind event in Cedar Rapids uh, on January 22nd. You can find information out there at our website at studentofmoney.org. And uh, thank you, Dustin, for being on the show. And for everybody out there listening, I will see you next time right here on Student of Money.